0: Um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church.
1: What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally
0: contradictory and there are antagonisms there? You're um, always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christian and leftist politics. I'm Matt Bernico. I teach media studies at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. I'm Dean Detloff. I'm a Catholic PhD student at the Institute
1: for Christian Studies in Toronto. This week, we are picking up some threads based on the stuff that we were talking about last week, about the Easter Rising. Uh, That was a great episode that we did with Greg Daly. It was a lot of fun, and after we talked about Irish socialism in the early 20th century, we thought, hey, there's probably a lot more going on. And surprise, uh, there was. And I don't know, probably there still is, but definitely was. So we're going to get into some really cool stuff that happened in 1968 in particular and, and following. But before that, uh, we've got some some housekeeping. It's been a while since we've done a, a podcast, just the two of us hanging out. So we thought we'd take the time to catch up on a couple of things. We have an iTunes review and a voicemail. So why don't you go ahead and hit me with that review there, Matt?
0: Yeah, no problem. Uh, so we have a review uh, on iTunes. It's great. Uh, five to five stars, of course. If it was less, I wouldn't even read it. Uh, uh, so here it goes. Uh, this, uh, reviewer states, Chesterton once said Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. Rather, it has never been tried. This podcast addresses itself to this problem by attempting to locate the coordinates of where the lessons that found expression in the gospels can be brought to bear into the interregnum of the secular humanitarian project. This project may be revealed to be a cut flower of the Christian project, but so obscure has the project become to self-describe practitioners that the secular derivative can serve as a source of material from which its origin can be reconstructed. That's the review. It's too smart. Hmm. It's, too, it's I got, think so. It's got too many good, smart things in there. No one said, uh, <laughs> no one said anything about Joel Osteen. No one said anything uh, <laughs> about, about communism. Uh, it's just, it's too smart for me to even read. I like the, the locating bit, though, because I feel like it, it turns us into,
1: like, uh, like Spelunkers. Ooh. Uh, you know, just l- looking through the cave, cave of Christian communism. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It is too smart for me, and uh, I'm sure that whoever wrote that review probably has a very cool paper that follows that uh, thesis statement, and one day I'll read it.
0: Uh yeah, I do like the sort of the cut flower metaphor. That's nice. A cut f- <laughs> That's good. Uh, secular humanitarianism is a cut flower of the Christian project. Oof, I'll have to use that in my uh daily life somewhere. Uh,
1: like when you bring um a nice gift home to your partner.
0: <laughs> that's right. Here are some cut flowers. <laughs> that, that's exactly sort of my speed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Well, um.
1: Thanks for the five stars for sure. And uh for the the meditative review. That's a new genre of reviews, I think.
0: Yeah. Um something to think about cool. for sure.
1: <laughs> let's uh let's go to this this voicemail. Oh
0: wait, there's a second review. Surprise. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't see this one the first time around. Okay, one more review. Uh it should, the title of this review is the po- this podcast is very good, five to five stars. Uh, This user writes, as a Catholic who only recently started to discern my way out of liberalism, this podcast has been an invaluable resource. Thank you to Matt and Dean. P.S. More Mario, please. Yeah. Good suggestion.
1: Super good suggestion. Also, I agree we should have Amoria back. We're going to have to think about that.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm in. (laughs) Sounds good.
1: All right. Well, in the meantime, let's do this voicemail. Hey, guys. This is James. Long time listener. First time caller. I don't know how much time I got. So I'm going to try and be quick. Why aren't y'all talking about space communism? It's the only thing that matters.
0: I agree. We should, we should do space communism. I don't know why we're not talking about it.
1: I also agree. Yeah, it makes no sense. Space communism is a thing. We both uh, do all the stuff on technology, just never, never get around to it. I think, I, you know, to be honest, I don't think I'm a person who would go to space. Yeah, I, feel, I think that's why I haven't done it. I feel good about being on the ground. I do, too. I feel like my maybe my space grandkids could be space communists, but for me, I'm just going to be a regular old Earth communist.
0: Uh, there's no pizza in space. That's a problem.
1: That's true. Richard Branson and uh, Elon Musk and all the, all the rest of those entrepreneurs haven't figured out that problem yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, if they're really so smart, they would just, uh, instead of sending a Tesla into space, they'd send a Pizza Hut.
1: Yeah, with a little camera. Just to make sure no, no aliens got at it.
0: <laughs> that's right.
1: Uh, yep. I don't know. Space communism, it, it's a thing. There's a, a lot of uh, fun, hilarious science fiction about uh, Catholic priests in space. So who knows? Maybe one day they'll be boldly going, but they'll be going without me. And that's why we haven't talked about it on this podcast.
0: It's too spooky. Uh, well, speaking of really spooky stuff, I'm going to tell you this uh, the scariest story uh, I can think of. And it is called uh, the police riot of the 1968 Democratic National (laughs) Convention in Chicago. Uh, Yeah, very on brand transition. So why don't you tell me this? Regale
1: me with this spooky tale.
0: Yeah. So um, I I don't know I don't know how if our listeners are familiar with this event in in 1968, the Democratic National Convention in Chicago, but there was a giant. Riot, a ten thousand person riot. I mean, riots probably the not quite the right term. It's definitely lots of civil unrest and probably some uncivil unrest too. Lots of good mm-hmm. unrest. Uh, so, nineteen sixty eight is a pretty tense time in the United States. Uh, I mean, you can you can kind of think back all the things like that are the happening, whole world really, like the whole world. It was a it was a great year sort of for overthrowing things. Uh, so, in the United States, though, there was I mean, Martin Luther King had been assassinated. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy had been assassinated. All kinds of uh, things like that going on. You know, tensions mounting all around the world. Yeah. Anyways, tons of stuff, sort of tons of tense moments. Uh, Students for Democratic Society, SDS, if you're familiar with them, uh, the student movement in the United States sort of led a uh, a, a giant protest. 10,000 people showed up in uh, Grant Park in Chicago um sort of outside the democratic national convention and unsurprisingly there was tons of police brutality as well the sort of i i mean I, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not but the uh proceeding of the events that i read was that one of the uh protesters uh brought down an american flag that was on a, like a flagpole and the cops uh that was sort of like the the last straw for them and that's when they kind of went into the crowd and started like beating them and dispersing them there's also a lot of uh uh historical record about the amount of tear gas they used so they just flooded downtown with tear gas uh which is pretty wild um and then uh maybe the the most notable part of this whole this whole unrest situation is it's uh out of this movement out of this event is when uh we get the the great protest chant the whole world is watching didn't know that's where it came from so all of these kinds of things are going on all of the sort of notable uh, leftists in the 60s are there. Bobby Seale's there. A bunch of other folks there are as well. Um, so, yeah, pretty spooky. Tons of. Tons that was real spooky. <laughs> yeah, I know. Tons of cops beating up protesters are, is like a, a horror film. Uh, that's the yeah, worst. For real. Um, but, uh, I mean, just like a horror film, it's kind of what you'd expect as well. So, right after uh, this thing in Chicago happened, um, some other kind of like events <laughs> happened. Uh, that were pretty interesting that kind of lead us into the conversation we're about to have. So uh, after after the protest was put down like a, a month later in September, the Chicago police force uh, showed up in Ireland, or at least a handful of Irish, Irish cops from Chicago showed up in Ireland. They were taking some kind of trip there. And what is kind of crazy is that the whole world actually was watching. And in Ireland, uh, there were some Christian leftists who were definitely watching. Uh, what was going on in Chicago, and uh, these Christian leftists in Ireland staged a fast in protest. This is um, some really good Christian leftism in form, using that religious language and practice to do something kind of subversive, always like that. So uh, they did. The Irish Times uh, reports that uh, Grill, which is like a a leftist Christian magazine uh, led by a guy named John Feeney, would be staging a fast to protest the police violence that had occurred uh, just a month earlier in Chicago. So Feeney notes uh, that these people, which by by which he means like the police, are not noted for any great concern on Christian issues in the USA, such as Vietnam or race relations. So um, the uh, so this group uh, led by John Feeney and kind of headed up, uh, symbolized in this magazine called Grill, staged this giant. Well, not a giant, but staged a fast to sort of (laughs) oppose the presence of these Irish cops in uh, in Ireland, which is kind of interesting. So, uh, Dean and I kind of went down the rabbit hole of this whole situation, uh, pretty recently, uh, kind of coming off of our last episode. And, uh, in that rabbit hole, we found a lot of really neat stuff about, uh, the Irish Christian left and sort of in its heyday in the 1960s. We, we, we found, uh, this magazine grill, we'll definitely link it, uh, so you guys can kind of follow along. And lots of some of the and and all the other characters that kind of go along with it. John Feeney being kind of the uh, character we're emphasizing right now. Uh, So, Dean, do you want to talk a little bit more uh, about uh, Grill and John Feeney? Yeah,
1: for sure. So there's loads and loads of stuff out there on it. More stuff than I think I expected to find at first. Um, It was actually somewhat hard to Google, but once we kind of figured out some of the publications that were covering this stuff in the 60s and 70s, it was a little, you could like target the information a little easier. Um, So, for example, one thing we did was uh, we bought a subscription to the Irish Times because they've like archived all their newspapers back into like the 1800s. Um so we just started googling around in there or searching around in there, I guess, and found all these really fascinating articles. Uh, you can buy a digital subscription for like a dollar, um, at least as like an entry point for a month or something. So I don't know if you're like super into it, it's a good way to like waste an afternoon. The kind of actions that we were interested in were all these things happening kind of around 1968. So there was this fast that Matt was just mentioning protesting the Chicago police in Ireland. Uh, But that fast actually came um, after a number of other things that Grill had already done. So the fast against police brutality had actually been preceded a a month before that in August when uh, the group organized the demonstration at a local church to address the publication of Humana Vitae, which is a papal um, document that banned birth control for Catholics I don't know. It's a big deal for Catholics. Uh, And the Russian intervention in Czechoslovakia, which is a big deal for communists. So the group kind of, they went down to this church to kind of basically name that this was a problem for both of these communities that they were part of, both the Christian community and the communist and leftist community in Ireland. And they wanted to speak about both of those things or kind of have a a way of addressing them. So they went down to this church and uh, as you might suspect, people were not too pumped about that. And in the church, the group was actually assaulted by a bunch of parishioners there who called them foreigners and communists, and the uh, the the protest itself or the demonstration or whatever you want to call it was publicized already in the news. Like people knew that they were going to be there. Um, so at the uh, demonstration, John Byrne, who was one of the activists, was like punched in the mouth while he was singing a hymn and uh, women had their headscarves turned, uh, torn off, and yeah, so it was like a pretty, pretty brutal scene. But what's really fascinating about it is that these uh, Christians went to this church in particular because they said, if you're a Christian, you don't believe in private property, and churches belong to all Christians, so naturally, if we've got something to say, that should be a place where we're allowed to say it. And, of course, it, it isn't, um, and that's part of uh, also strategically why they... Kind of staged it there, or at least that's what made it somewhat effective. So, in response to that event, Grill actually published a whole issue of their magazine, sort of explaining their positions. And the editorial to that magazine kind of ties these things together, both the demonstration at the church and some of the uh, thoughts they had about the Democratic National Convention and the police brutality there. So. Uh, All those things kind of come to a head in this magazine reflecting on it that we found online.
0: Yeah, uh, so obviously uh, this is the kind of thing that makes Dean and I really pumped. (laughs) Um, So uh, it's uh, really exciting to us that there uh, was this sort of really active uh, and well-publicized militant Irish left. Uh, I think that's really dope uh, and something that we should think about. Um, So on this episode, that's what we're going to do. Uh, so one of the most prominent pieces of uh, of the Christian left, right, is this magazine that we just mentioned called Grill, and this guy named John Feeney, to, to mention just you know one piece of the puzzle there. Uh, so uh, in this episode, we're going to get a little bit deeper into what this kind of radical Christianity looked like, uh, and in order to do that, we're going to just take some time and walk through an essay uh, that John Feeney wrote for Grill called Theology of Violence. So uh for y- for you Magnificast listeners out there this episode's got all the stuff that you guys love it's got history it's got Christianity it's got violence all of those things you love them so just this is this is all for you
1: <laughs> all those violence lovers just all those violence lovers out, out, there. out there well I mean
0: it's like it's all the <laughs> every good part of an older of an ep- episode of the Magnificast is in this episode as well except a really great guest that's true it's just us but that's true
1: Uh, the guest of history Um, (laughs) yeah that's right so yeah (laughs) this issue is really great um, and Feeney's in particular is very good he's an extremely gifted writer I couldn't believe some of the sentences that he made I mean it's very bold and uh, very kind of rhetorically powerful so what we've done is we kind of went through and instead of going through the essay like chronologically or whatever I mean you you can all read this yourself if you really want to and you should Um, but instead of doing it sort of you know beginning to end we cut it up a little bit into some themes and kind of very going to just use those as some prompts to kind of talk about what this movement looked like in Ireland and what we think is interesting about it now so one thing that kind of just jumps out is Feeney's attempt to talk about violence in a way that's really analytically useful and articulate and among the conceptual handles that he has or, or offers to us are, uh, violence, what he calls outside of society and violence inside of society. Uh, so Matt, maybe could I turn it over to you to introduce us to that
0: distinction? Uh, yeah, definitely. So he starts off the article, um, with kind of a, I mean, not super surprising way, right? He's uh Catholic and the leftist, uh, so he starts off the article with kind of a, I don't know, what would be a pretty controversial thing to say in like most liberal Christian circles today. This is a quote from uh, Thomas Aquinas uh, and sort of a meditation that he's got going on with uh, Aristotle's definition of violence. So uh, the, the essay opens up like this. There, there's a question uh, whether heretics should be tolerated. Uh, And Aquinas says there is the sin whereby they deserve not only to be separated from the church by excommunication, but also be shut off from the world by death. Uh, Okay, so that's pretty rough. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, I don't know. You get the picture, right? There's this first conception of violence is uh, the one where he starts. So there's violence. From the outside, in the sense that um, that the the way that you sort of protect your society, your group is kind of uh, keep out those outside forces, the protection from the other. That's a theme that's uh, I mean definitely still with us and a huge part of United States uh, culture. So uh, not really hard to conceptualize there. You you get it right. Uh, but there's also a second kind of violence that he starts breaking down for us that I think is uh, part of that more useful analytic, and that is violence inside society. So that's the violence of class war, um, which is that good that good Marxist stuff that we all love so very much. Um, so uh, he he talks about uh, the sort of violence inside and like a lot of different registers. So in, in terms of class, that was a, a big one, but also in terms of racism. Um, So one class dominates another through internal violence um, and then expresses that violence, not necessarily through always the violence of force, but maybe the violence of law or the violence of just sort of like cultural meaning through semiotics and so on. So um, he wants to move us away from just thinking of violence outside society, that protection of the other type of violence, a kind of naive violence towards this more complex uh, but also, in a way, kind of simplistic uh, violence about class war. So he wants to, in light of, in light of trying to sort of like uh, give us some insight into this more nuanced understanding of violence, he thinks that we need to develop what he calls a theology of violence. And there's a lot going on here. And I think this, uh, the theology of violence that uh, Feeney is all about, is definitely one that we've kind of touched on in the past. But the way he articulates it is really good. And and putting it sort of in the context uh and language of uh more of um, a radical Christianity does something that I think that some of our conversations haven't done in the past. Um so um Dean, do you want to start us off and talking about sort of the meat of the essay? The uh I'm sorry I'm <laughs> sorry, let me let me rephrase that. The tofu of the essay.
1: Yeah, uh so I think one thing that is so strong about it is that it performs really well, that thing that we're always kind of going on about, which is that violence is a term that people use when they want to make certain points um, in a kind of language game. But those points don't often actually tell us a lot of things about other ways that violence shows up in ways that we don't often want to acknowledge. And uh, so when people talk about violence, it can actually hide the real violence that's going on systemically or structurally within our societies. And this uh, theology of violence that Feeney proposes is basically an attempt to say no to that um, and also to affirm uh, a need to understand the kind of more complicated and, and nuanced views of violence, uh, as Matt was just saying. So uh, one thing that is pretty fascinating is he starts out by saying, what does a the modern theology of violence proclaim? And he says, firstly, it proclaims that violence is evil. And that's kind of a interesting thing to say, because as he goes on throughout the rest of the essay, he does find places where violence is sort of, uh, it's hard to, to figure out the right kind of adjective, but understandable or strategically necessary or useful. Uh, so to kind of come out swinging in the, in the article by saying violence is evil is I think a really uh, important thing to say. But he qualifies that by saying violence with unchanneled aggression in an inarticulate society is totally evil. And so he kind of keeps building these uh, distinctions upon distinctions in a way that's, I think, really, really helpful. So he'll say something like, uh, "People just going out and committing like totally, uh, totally irrational or random violence—that's bad. That's completely and totally evil. And uh, that is also an evil that is, um, it, it kind of like, sparks up at certain moments in social life, uh, but it actually is sort of present in in many parts of social life." So. That's the, the internal violence that Feeney is after, right? These uh, these ways that there are these, uh, these evil, kind of irrational, violent structures that make one group dominate another group from within, and he wants a name that is totally evil. Um, but as we'll kind of see, uh, it gets a little bit more complicated. Um, I think, Matt, just to kind of reiterate some things that we've talked about in the past, uh, what... It, makes me so interested in these kinds of approaches is that it's one thing for Marxists to talk about things like structural violence or to talk about violence as a thing that pervades our whole society, but it really is kind of another thing for theologians to do or to think of a theology of violence, Uh, just because people often see those as mutually exclusive terms or something like that. Um, But in fact, uh, Christians have spent a long time thinking about violence, and it's actually relatively recently that people have kind of started to see them as uh uh things that shouldn't really go together so this kind of rigorous attempt to do a theology of violence in 1968 i guess that's the kind of thing that really um pulls this this article in for me
0: yeah i agree um any anytime a christian starts thinking about uh theology and violence in a more uh nuanced way than just like the sort of pacifism versus all-out insurrection or something uh, sort of dichotomy seems good to me. The these are conversations that we desperately need nuance in, uh, or else I mean, Christians will just get stuck doing the same things they always do, um, which is unwittingly participate in violence and think they're not. So, um, yeah, I think it's good. <laughs> um, so to just get us into some of this
1: nuance a little bit, I want to rehearse a kind of basic, I guess, leftist and specifically Marxist point. Uh, about structural violence, um, and then we'll look at an example that Feeney gives of how liberal society kind of occludes that violence. So, where many Christians uh, and kind of everyday average folks uh, think about violence, usually what happens is uh, you come down to this point of saying violence is is essentially like when somebody punches someone else in the face. Uh, it's like two bodies meeting each other in space, or a weapon meeting another person's body in space. But in any case, it's the kind of thing that happens between people, uh, like intentionally. That's violence. Uh, if, if there are other things that happen, they might be, I don't know, accidents. Like if someone gets hit by a car, like that's a really bad thing. But it's not violent per se. Uh, but essentially the idea is most people sort of naively or intuitively think of violence as this kind of thing that's really localizable, isolatable, uh, really personal. But what Marxists try to do and what a lot of leftists try to do is, is to say, well, wouldn't we want to say that a social system that essentially condemns some people to an entire life of uh, poverty, for example, uh, or an entire life of being victims of racism, for example, wouldn't we say that there's something profoundly violent about that society or those mechanisms in society that result in that kind of a thing? So the idea is if we can expand violence out uh, to be a, a more expansive category, it actually helps us to not only uh, sort of, I guess, look at a problem in a more interesting way, but it also helps us to name something that many of us naively feel, even though we don't know that we feel that way, right? That um, we, we might also kind of naively feel that uh, a society where people are, where, for example, black people are disproportionately sent to prison that would be a violent society. Um, that's a case of a, a structural systemic violence at the root of our society. And even, uh, you know, big pacifist voices like Martin Luther King Jr. or uh, even Pope Francis, as we've talked about in the past on the podcast, um, they also kind of recognize this point, right? That if you really want a, a sort of ethic of, of non-violence even, you would have to go beyond uh, two people punching each other to recognize the violence at the heart of society. But the the trouble is that we live in a kind of political and social environment that makes it really easy to ignore that point or to not even get there in the first place. Uh, so Feeney actually pulls out one way that this happens, or at least tries to articulate how this kind of looks in liberalized societies in particular. Um, and I'm going to throw that over to you, Matt, to uh, read that out and sort of maybe unpack it a little bit.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay, so Feeney says uh, this, violence in a society of thought control is wrong. In our society, there is a conscious channeling of aggression towards the ends desired by the exigencies of, so- of capital growth. This civilization of ours builds up unexteriorized aggression against these people, builds up pride in its own institutions by selective use of news. People live in a society of frustrated hatred, which is channeled into a triumphing in its own structures. British Parliament, Western Moderation, Liberal Freedom, it creates intolerance of dissent within itself by purposely channeling aggression into an incomprehensible internal political straitjacket. Thus, the peace protesters of Chicago suffer the media of capitalism linking Viet Cong, Black Power, China, and McCarthy in one big racial hate. This is rechanneled hatred. This rechanneled hatred sees a refusal to accept home structures as an automatic sign of of a hippie anarchist and communist. And then in parentheses, he says all dissent is the same. So the idea here is that, um, that there's a violence uh, that's kind of latent in our, in, in liberalism that makes it really hard to even see itself. I guess this sort of like, uh, there are obfuscating structures in liberalism where, uh, the, uh, sort of triumph of that society, uh, Paints over or masks uh, the intolerance of dissent, which is, I think, a pretty interesting phrase that um, we d- we don't want to hear. Sort of the complaints and the um, and the the problems. So uh, instead of dealing with them, the media of capitalism, which again, a good another good phrase, uh, kind of uh, homogenizes all of these expressions of dissent uh into one solid lump that's kind of um inarticulately screaming about what's wrong and uh it makes all dissent kind of sound the same which is kind of a problem it's a it's a a violence of who can speak and what can be said um it's a violence uh that again i think that most people can't hear or would prefer not to um so it's a structural type of violence that is inherent in the way the system works and i, I think that's kind of the the point in the um because we can't see the sort of edges of the system because of because of just like the way that we live within it it's hard for us to see those but whenever anyone can call it out in this way i think it's it's worthwhile um does that sound right to you dean
1: yeah i think so and it's also really helpful the way that he sort of uh brings that all dissent is the same point into a conversation with uh viet Cong, black power uh china and he says even mccarthy right that um all people who dissent from liberalism both on the right and the left are kind of treated as basically making the same move and that is something that you can see really obviously with the sort of violence on all sides bit that we sort of complain about quite right. a right yeah uh right where yeah it's like well, white supremacists are bad, but so are anti-fascists, and they're the same thing, right? That's a line that you can basically find in every major media publication in the United States after a big protest. Is like, there's always one sort of columnist who's willing to make that point. And I think it's it's just really important to keep driving home that that's not the case, right? There are different reasons that people dissent, and there are also different uh, different expressions of that dissent. Uh, and you have to be able to to understand those differences. Otherwise, you fall into like just a very dumb category mistake where you think that one side is being violent and the other side is being just as violent when, in fact, one side might be uh, ratcheting up the violence at the heart of a society while the other side is defending themselves from that kind of a violence, for example. So there's all kinds of ways that liberalism uh, really effectively stops us from... Uh, actually understanding materially what's happening on the ground. I think Feeney does a good job actually laying that out in a in a nice little paragraph.
0: Yeah, it's a a really good uh, early defense against uh, horseshoe theory.
1: Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So a couple of the things that really stick out to me in this uh, article. One is that it is a theology of violence. Um, You know, it's not just a social theory of violence. There's a real intentional Christian component to it. Uh, And as the essay goes on, Feeney is extremely intentional about drawing that Christian link very, very close. So what's cool about it is you don't get the thing that sometimes leftist Christians are accused of, which is basically... A Christian uh, importing a bunch of leftist categories that are totally foreign and alien that end up disciplining Christianity. Uh, Instead, Feeney is saying, uh, well, precisely because of my Christianity, I feel these kinds of ways and I use these kinds of languages because they help me to say something. Um, And I think that's really good because right off the bat, he heads off a a habit that I find uh, really troubling in especially sort of Catholic circles that I... Uh, am aware of and sometimes sort of masochistically follow. Uh, and that's this traditionalist look to the past, right? So there, there's more than one way to oppose capitalism. There are many ways to oppose capitalism, and not all of them are good. Uh, some of them are, are very good, and some of them are very bad. So uh, the, the bad ones are reactionary uh, frustrations with capitalism that often sort of mourn the loss of things before capitalism, uh, and they sort of paint those things in a very romantic light that sort of, uh, A, obscures the real tensions and, um, and bad forms of domination that were often present in those societies, uh, or B, they actually want those forms of domination back. And in both cases, those are uh, bad analytics. So Feeney does a really good job saying that he d- he's totally dissociated from that. So he says... As he develops his theology, he says this could be called a pragmatic theology, but is primarily a theology of depth within revolution, a theology which realizes that medieval Europe is dead as a duck, lost forever, that nobody can be a medieval person, only a neurotic escapist. (laughs) And uh, I think uh, that's just like a really nice way of putting it as simple as that, right? Like, Sorry everyone, we're not going to get medieval society back. And you can think that, but like you're an escapist. You know, you're not uh you're you're certainly not going to achieve that goal. Uh most people wouldn't even want it if they knew what they were talking about. But uh at the end of the day, the point is that you you just can't get there. So you might as well not even not even try.
0: Uh yeah, I find that uh point pretty convincing. <laughs> um yeah, yearning for that uh that traditional uh medieval experience um just also what you might call like a really just a really weird conservatism i don't really understand it i guess i'm not catholic so it doesn't matter but <laughs> <laughs> i mean i am catholic and i don't understand it either, so <laughs> okay good <fine. laughs>
1: uh yeah but i mean uh I, I guess the the reason i feel like it's important to kind of mention that at this point in the conversation about violence is that uh You could just as easily sort of complain about the violence at the heart of liberalism or whatever, and then just end up on the wrong side. Right. (laughs) Or like oppose that violence from the completely wrong direction. And what Feeney is saying is, if you're going to be a Christian who wants to oppose these things, then you better find a way to do that uh, without being sort of taken in (laughs) by, you know, like the fantasies of a a medievalism that you're not going to get.
0: Right. Uh. Yeah. It would be. It is a really wild position to be like. Well, man. Uh, liberalism sure is violent. That is right. I just wish we had a lord to kind of deal with this stuff. For us. <laughs> That's it. Well, instead of uh, instead of sort of adopting uh, feudal feudalism and uh, more intense church hierarchies, uh, some suggestions from Feeney come come along that I think are pretty good. Some pretty interesting ones too. Uh. So he says. Uh. Uh, The church must do, firstly, what Jesus commanded, lose its capitalist wealth, throw off oppressors, have no home. Uh, This will be some job as there is hardly anybody else in the church at the moment. Uh, It must be done. (laughs) Yeah, but it must be done by creating a theology of revolution and becoming a proletariat by rejecting a universalist ontological view of the church growing from lost technologies the church will have to start proving rather than presuming its superior role in the world. Once again, cast out devils, work miracles, reconcile by taking sides. This will be done by shouting the message of Jesus in this age. So loudly from the rooftops that the bourgeois scuttle out and are finally thrown out. And a proletarian church can again, proclaim the resurrection. Dig that. Yeah, that's extremely good. There's so many like, uh, really sort of nuances in this that I really do love. Um, (laughs) Like so much good sort of rhetoric going on. Uh, I think what I really, really appreciate, though, is the phrase reconcile by taking sides. I like that a lot. Yeah,
1: that's a good one.
0: Uh, I agree. If I had a nickel every time I heard for every time I heard the word reconciliation, I'd have uh, so many nickels. I could be a Scrooge McDuck (laughs) kind of character. But reconcile (laughs) by taking sides is uh, sounds good because uh, it it does assume that there is a, a good side, a right side. Um man what a thing I've been dealing uh, I don't know I don't really want to talk about that I guess but I've been <laughs> I've been involved in some intense conversations in uh my sort of position in life lately And I think the thing I hate most about those intense conversations is that, like, uh, being a polite person in the Midwest, I have to pretend like the person who is arguing with me is not completely wrong in every single way. It's a really hard thing to do. It makes reconciliation really difficult that I have to pretend like this person has, like, someone's best intentions in mind when they don't. So that idea of uh, taking sides to reconcile resonates with me a lot. And also uh, Mm -hmm. making the bourgeois scuttle out is good. I like that. Like they're (laughs) like they're little crabs getting away.
1: That's right. Yeah. got to gotta run out sideways.
0: <laughs> that's right.
1: Yeah, I also love this because it just assumes that the message of Jesus naturally spooks the bourgeoisie, right? And that's such a simple point, but it's not exactly a far stretch from the gospels to say something like that. I mean right. Jesus isn't exactly like comforting people in their wealth. Uh that's not a thing that he's known for. Yeah. Um and Feeney is, is really giving us a challenge, I think, by saying, like, well, Uh, If you really cared that much uh, about Jesus or proclaiming Jesus or whatever, then, like, why is it that so many people feel pretty comfortable right now uh, with their wealth? Um, There's, like, a really cool Kierkegaardian point right there uh, about, you know, Kierkegaard's always sort of complaining or lampooning uh, the pastors in in Denmark, where it's, like, there are all these churches and, like, everybody goes there every Sunday and everybody hears sermons every single Sunday, uh, yet, like everybody lives sort of bourgeois Christian lives. Yeah. And like, I don't know, like, what's going on here, but it is not uh, resembling whatever Jesus seems to be up to. And I think that that's, just, like, it's a really simple and obvious point, but when you put it in Marxist terms in particular, it's like, well, how come all these wealthy people don't feel very troubled going to church on Sunday?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Kierkegaard's right. <laughs>
1: um, One thing, though, so this whole article is very cool. But one thing that sometimes I get tripped up by is uh, Feeney has this—I don't know if it's like—I don't know how to how to call it exactly. He has this way of talking about Christian superiority that is playful and interesting, but also sort of troubling to me. Yeah, um, like it comes out in this paragraph right where he says the church will have to start proving rather than presuming its superior role in the world. Uh, once again, cast out demons, work miracles, reconcilable taking sides, and I think i mean the point that he's making is good right that you can't just presume that the church is superior by virtue of its existence or something which was what a lot of conservatives do in particular um but you would have to like earn that but i think even then it's like the last thing at least i would want is someone to sort of earn the or work toward the superiority of christianity like if i've learned anything doing this podcast in the last uh
0: over a year now it's that like that's a, a recipe for certain doom and disaster, <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean uh it's a good it's a good thought, but it comes off kind of a weird way,
1: yeah, yeah, like um, the church
0: shouldn't want to be superior at all, it should just be yeah, hang, it should just hang,
1: yeah, exactly, <laughs> It should just do all those things that that he says, cast out devil's work miracles, and reconcile but taking sides so, like that's it,
0: <laughs> right, uh, yeah, so that makes sense. It is maybe a troubling a troubling way to yeah a troubling way to speak we can. Yeah, we we can come back to that and probably will at another point. Yeah,
1: anything else uh, jump out at you right away here, Matt?
0: Well, um, I guess not right away, but um, <laughs> I, I guess there is there is a sense in in which here that like taking a side um, might kind of have a, a violent violent sort of feel to it, right? Or um, making the the bourgeois scuttle away also might have a, a violent feel. So. Um, I guess there's, uh, we can kind of move on to some of the next bit here that there is a place for violence, uh, even though it was denounced as evil. So um, we can kind of talk about that next, I guess. But uh, a little bit, a little bit later after that quote we just read, uh, he goes on to say that theology then must reject all violence that the church has been using to sacralize. So. Um, It reminds me again of that that Herbert McCabe point that Christians, uh, the the violence that Christians miss is the violence that's sort of inherent in the uh, system that supports them, the sort of liberal violence, that structural violence again. So learning to reject that type of violence because it is, uh, I I mean, um, it is violent, absolutely. And and maybe learning to do something else that I guess might seem violent, but... uh, probably in, retro- in in like sort of comparison is not, not so much. Yeah. Uh, so that, that sacralizing violence is the one uh, that is suspect here.
1: Yeah, that's right. And what's also really interesting about that point that Feeney makes is that the way that he talks about violence is that there may actually be times where violence is not just the thing to be rejected. He's not an absolute pacifist, uh, but rather there are specific kinds of violence that have to be rejected. And even though violence does lead to troubling, uh, histories and conclusions that's not actually a, a good reason to abstain from it per se or at least we don't have the luxury of abstaining from it um i know that so like i'm gonna do something really dangerous and talk about a christian tradition that is not mine um, but uh the uh I, for a long time i was like flirting with uh becoming an orthodox person and uh, one thing that really attracted me to that tradition was something that I had read by this priest whose name escapes me right now. But the the salient point is that um, his sort of orthodox theology of violence was that uh, violence is always wrong uh, and always sinful, but not, therefore, something that you can always avoid. Hmm. Um, that, like, it's something that you always would have to sort of repent of, but something that you might actually also have to do. And... Uh, that seems to me kind of to be something similar to what Feeney's after here as well. Um, that there's like, there are times for violence uh, and not not a violence that you like celebrate a ton, but a violence that you recognize is sort of necessary to uh, get you to a, an actual point of nonviolence.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense to me. Uh, skipping even a little bit ahead in our notes, uh, there's a great quote that he says a little bit later on that says that the church then should not only be Uh, Working class, but also be torn between violence and non-violence. Again, that Mm -hmm. that rhetoric of being torn, I think, works uh, particularly well for this conversation. That uh, I mean, right? Like violence isn't isn't something to be uh, you you know really pleased with, but uh, to struggle with, to uh, work through, to like agonize over the right way to do it. Um, And I think that is a uh, a a pretty again like i mean simple it's straightforward kind of approach but i mean when you actually put that into practice it will end up being uh complex and hard um so i like that that it's not sort of categor- categorically accepting one position or the other but saying that you have to be torn between the two
1: yeah that's right um so in terms of revolutionary violence he talks about this quite a bit uh at one point i think he's talking about cuba he talks about how they uh, had to be violent in order to sort of come to realize the situation of nonviolence that they hope for within their society uh, to eliminate that, that inside violence of class struggle. Uh, they had to be violent um, in order to overthrow a, a bad Cuban dictator, right? So uh, there's something really interesting at play there that the goal is to actually produce a nonviolent society um, but we don't have the luxury of necessarily being able to, to rest on that alone. Um, and I think the fact that he's able to affirm revolutionary projects like Cuba and others is really kind of unique and, and helpful. Um, he specifically names Cuba. He specifically names Mao. And this is in 68, which is historically important, especially for the Mao stuff um but uh he affirms all kinds of, of real you know armed struggles around the world and of course he's irish and there's an armed struggle happening there as well uh and he says at one point um he talks about this kind of dialectic between like uh hope and um like despair or challenge in revolutions and so he says hope means that one must integrate the possibility of failure that a revolution can bring about domination in other words, that a new society exists provisionally in faith, outside the control of people who seek it, except in internalized belief and experience. Uh, and then he says, thus the church must follow the injections of Christ to join the proletariat to call for a new world. And I think that kind of like stepping out in, in the risk of failure is actually like a really strong and uh, impressive point that like his particular theology of violence uh, is one that is is attuned to all these complexities and even to the complexity of maybe uh it not ending the way that you sort of hoped that it might or something like that,
0: yeah, I think so. um this is one of those really challenging ideas I think that leftists don't deal with very well that sometimes revolutions fail or sometimes they don't materialize at all, and that's like a bummer, but we don't really think about how that works out like. You know, the, the sort of like straightforward, I, I guess you could say like vulgar Marxist understanding of revolution is, um, you know, sort of the like dialectical when like when workers get fed up enough and they don't have anything else to lose. They sort of revolt. But um, I think something else is I, I mean, I mean, the you know, the I, I don't I don't dare even question the sort of immortal science of um historical materialism but at the same time (laughs) there is like sort of a struggle and tension to uh, kind of come to grips with what that actually means um so uh i think meaning something really similar to what's going on here in this article uh richard gilman opalski kind of famously quotes and and says in some of his work uh that like revolutions and uprisings revolutions and uprisings either happen or they don't and like that's kind of like a frustrating thing right that's like why is it that um why is it that like uh, Ferguson erupts after after the shooting of Mike Brown and not after the shooting of, you know, all the other all the other like black teenagers before him? And it's kind of uh, something going on there in the sense that like um, failure is sort of always there. Like the the revolution, the uprising, the riot could just not materialize um or it could just you know fall apart altogether. But in, at the same time, there's this idea that there is, um, yeah, I guess uh, hope that it will, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that like, even though, you know, you don't know what's going to happen for sure. There's the, the faith, uh, faith outside the control of people who seek it. Um, And that, like, you still just have to kind of step in. I I like here, I like the very end too. He says, thus the church must follow the injunctions of Christ to join the proletariat to call for a new world, even though you don't know if it will really succeed um, in that sort of material moment.
1: Yeah, there's that real eschatological kind of component to it. Speaking also of, I guess, something that the left doesn't do very well, (laughs) uh, I think one is actually talking about violence in a way that recognizes that violence is not a thing that people should like, yeah. Uh, like sometimes I see leftist talk on the internet, especially about violence, in a way that just like really freaks me out. <laughs> like I don't, I don't. I mean, I can understand being so frustrated that you know, like you understand that violence is sometimes necessary, and like I can, I can totally understand also saying that like strategically, um, if you're a person committed to violence, then like you should probably find out a way that you can like live with yourself doing that right so like it's not that you have to like self-flagellate or something over a commitment to violence but like uh i don't know people just like calling for like rivers to flow red with the blood of capitalists is like not not a rhetoric that i think is extremely healthy for uh for day-to-day life really let alone like yeah a revolutionary movement per se (laughs) yeah no i agree yeah, I don't know. And maybe that's like something too that this uh this attempt by Feeney to like both affirm that violence is evil, but also affirm that violence is the thing that you should be sort
0: of torn between. Uh I think he's like trying to deal with that problem a little bit. Uh yeah, I think so. Well, uh he goes on to say some other kind of interesting things about violence that uh, you know, even pile on this sort of complexity a little bit more. So uh, he goes on to say Also, the church cannot by its clear unity with the proletariat indulge in its present frivolities. It cannot distinguish between throwing stones and sacking priests, between responsible protests and priest petitions. It will see violence in the context in which it is seen in the New Testament, simplicity and complexity. The wheat shall be separated from the chaff, sheep from the goats, you are either with me or against me, he who does not sow scatters. Violence is not just riots, but the Pharisees, whitened sepulchers, shiny chalices harboring corruption within the so-called non-violent religious system. The church could not talk of social reform with provisos either one is the downtrodden or against. To talk of means is to equivocate in a world that is against such intellectual idealisms. It is nice to ask Colombian landowners to be nice, difficult to do something about it. Um, So... uh, out of this conversation of violence uh, and sort of like the tension that we should feel between it and um, sort of very much not like, uh, you know, super all on board about it. There is a sense where he says that we should understand violence the way that we, that the new Testament understands violence uh, in the sort of exclusionary uh, wheat from the chaff, sheep from the goats kind of way. Uh, So Dean, what can we make of all of this? Do you think? The two, th- there are
1: two sort of bits in that paragraph that you read that really stick out to me. The first is uh, where he says violence is not just riots, um, but all these things that he says are summarized in the so-called nonviolent religious system. Yeah, I think that's such a strong point, right? And it goes to all the stuff we were just saying about structural violence. But I think the fact that people assume these things are nonviolent is is a, also a very good thing to kind of affirm. Uh, I mean, people think that like living in a liberal society and like, you know, going to the polls and voting for your representatives and all that stuff, those are like innocent, nonviolent things. Uh, But they all come to us from a deep history of violence. Um, They are founded on violence. They maintain violence. And I mean, as long as we're still voting for like Democrats and Republicans in the United States or for the the few uh, major parties in Canada, for example, um, we're still going to be voting for violent policies uh you know as long as as we keep voting for capitalists we'll be voting for violence so um i think that's a, a really strong point and the second one is just that last nice rhetorical turn to phrase where he says it's nice to ask colombian landowners to be nice difficult to do something about it um and that's like a it's a good tongue-in-cheek kind of thing but it really actually says something profound um most people want to ask uh you know whatever like pick your your rich uh donating philanthropist. Um, they wanna ask those people to be nice, right? But it's a lot harder to actually do something about making them nice. Uh the the thing that always comes to mind for me, I don't know why Elon Musk is on my mind right now so much in this podcast, but uh the thing that comes to mind for me is he, you know, he uh he launches this rocket and then he's also kind of painted as this suffering entrepreneur uh he doesn't make a lot of money i guess off of his teslas i don't know he's a lot more money than me so i find that hard to believe he's sleeping on but, the floor uh, of his factory yeah sleeping on the floor of the factory but meanwhile there are loads of articles about people who are collapsing on the floors of his factory because they're over exhausted uh like it's nice to ask elon musk to be nice i guess but it's a lot harder to do something about it i mean if sleeping on the floor of your factories doesn't actually make you sympathetic to the the people whose labor uh, you bought, <laughs> then uh, I don't really know what will.
0: Uh, yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> Elon Musk. I mean, uh, if you would just send Pizza Hut into space, we could just really get <laughs> overlook all
1: these all this violence.
0: Yeah. Um, to to me, I mean, the point the point that we've made in the past and that we make again, and again. Is this point about you know violence is not just the riots, but the Pharisees, white and sepulchres, shiny chalices, etc. I like this so much because, like, I guess if you really think about that and take it to heart, and like go to church and kind of see it all, uh, you kind of realize just how much like you're kind of in the thick of it, and that like uh you know even just like something as simple as like participating in church or going to mass or whatever is is a way to even kind of perpetuate it that like. Um, mm-hmm that uh you know tithing is great maybe you're like giving like your church is giving some great like sort of missionary fund. but at the same time it's not fundamentally questioning uh the main source of violence in our culture in our culture so uh
1: especially if you're giving to a a missionary fund yeah especially then right (laughs) if you're if you're giving
0: somewhere really good maybe it's awesome right (laughs) but uh probably not
1: yeah um i think that uh what makes this article in particular so inspiring to me is that Feeney just wrestles with the problem a lot of violence and some of it is uh not great like we pointed to the sort of church superiority thing um some of it I don't know makes like makes me a little bit nervous there are like some times when he talks about the Jews and I can't really tell if he's like making an anti-semitic point or if he's just making like a historical point and that's just my uh failure to be uh, a smart person about anti-Semitism, I guess. But uh, nevertheless, with uh, <laughs> those those faults, um, I think that uh, what I appreciate about the sort of grill magazine ethos or something like that is that there's this real attempt to wrestle with what it would mean to, to build a dialogue between Christianity and the left uh, more than just thinking and more than just putting some words together or some vocabularies together, um, but really like doing some direct action and then reflecting on it and uh, sending that reflection out into the world and kind of seeing what comes back. Like this article comes after they all got beat up at a church. Uh, Like he's reflecting on violence after watching his friend get punched in the face uh, while like singing a hymn uh, in a place of worship. And I think that is the kind of backdrop that I guess I find really inspiring and challenging and um, maybe is like a a cool sort of like one more very cool node in the wide global historical network of uh, Christian leftists that we've been exploring.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, this article is asking us to, to do a few things, right? Consider violence, but also figure out how and what it means to respond to Christ in sort of this context of intense societal violence um so it's a good provoking question
1: thanks for listening to the magnificast uh you can find us all over the internet we're on twitter at the magnificast we are on facebook at the magnificast we also have a facebook group called the magnificast basement and you can share articles and questions and comments and whatever you're thinking with other folks there who maybe you can uh, help you think some things through and maybe you can help us think some things through. Um, also, if you like what you heard, you can donate to us and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash themagnificast. And uh, yeah, we've been getting all kinds of really, really amazing support uh, in the last several months and just super excited about that and uh excited to hear a lot more about other christian leftists as well so if you know what's up send it our way um, looking forward to hearing what's going on at the friendly uh the friendly fire collective coming up soon um so yeah i don't know keep us posted um all right see you next week